0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Now your Bible is open to Isaiah chapter number 53. I want to speak to you today on the three questions of Isaiah 53. The three questions of Isaiah 53. May I put the questions out to you and that I'd like to leave the background and try to give you the, the reason for the question. I don't think the questions that I'm preaching on will mean anything to you, except you understand why Isaiah speaks them or gives them from the depth of his soul. In verse number one, who hath believed our report? Question number one. Number two, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And in question number three, in verse eight, and who shall declare his generation? Now, if you'll study the whole chapter, you'll discover that these are the only three questions, by the way, in the entire chapter. And I'd like to speak to you from them uh, in the message in this hour. Uh, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And who shall declare his generation? Now, in order to get the foundation, you're going to have to drop back to chapter number uh, 52 and begin with verse number 13. This is the introduction, by the way, to the whole 53rd of Isaiah. I think 53rd of Isaiah is one of the great chapters of all the Bible. Somebody said that this is the John 3 of the Old Testament, and I would agree with that. Uh, I know of no chapter in the Old Testament that so portrays the suffering, bleeding Savior. And so presents the Lamb of God as Isaiah chapter number 53. This is the chapter, you remember, that the Ethiopian unit was reading and pondering when Philip, the evangelist, joined himself to the chariot and instructed him and preached to him Christ, and he was wonderfully saved and baptized, you know, know the story, in the Acts of the Apostles. Isaiah 53. Uh, it's a mystery to me how any Jew, and I have great respect for Israel, there is not one drop of anti-Semitic spirit in my veins, not one. I believe in Israel. I love Israel. I respect the Jew. but it's an astounding thing that an Israelite can read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and not at least have some questions in his mind about whom the prophet speaks. By the eunuch, it was a Gentile, and those questions came up in his mind as the eunuch, a Gentile, rode his chariot back to Ethiopia. Uh, He said, of whom does the prophet speak? Uh, Philip, is he speaking about himself or is he speaking about one yet to come? And beginning with that same uh, scripture, uh, Philip preached on him, Jesus. But the average Jew around Georgia and South Carolina uh, can read this and seem never to have any question at all in their minds. That's a clear indication of the blindness of Israel. If you want a a scriptural uh, proof text for the blindness of Israel, that's it. I don't understand how a Jew or a Gentile could read Isaiah 53 and not begin to question about whom does the prophet speak. But seemingly they have no no insight, to say the least, about uh, this great chapter uh, presenting the Lamb of God. But in verse 13 of the preceding chapter, Isaiah said, Behold my servant. Jehovah's servant, the Lord Jesus, shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted, he shall be extolled, he shall be very high, and all of us say amen to that. And yet actually that has not yet been realized. You know, not all the prophecies relating to the Messiah have found glorious fulfillment. The humiliation of the Christ has been fulfilled, but the exaltation of the Lord Jesus has yet to, is yet to be fulfilled. Uh, and his name shall be called wonderful. That's never been fulfilled. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That has never been fulfilled. And the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. That's never been fulfilled. He shall order the kingdom. That's never been fulfilled. He shall establish the kingdom. That has never been fulfilled. You see, there are many prophecies related to the exaltation of our Christ and the exalted of our Christ are being lifted very high, that remain to be fulfilled, and I confidently believe that someday, maybe sooner than we think, all of those prophecies relating to his glory shall find ultimate fulfillment. He is to come again in power and great glory, all of us believe, do enough. Behold my servant, highly exalted, highly extolled, and lifted very high. But the next verse is very opposite from that. Behold also, many were astonished at thee. Now, the reason of their astonishment was the fact that he was not exalted, that he was not extolled, and he was not lifted very high in his first advent. But instead he was humiliated and intimidated and put to shame and then crucified upon the cross. And many were astonished that the Messiah would be so maltreated at the hands of his enemies, as the record tells us that he was. His visage was so marred, marred more than any man seemingly had ever experienced before in all uh, history. His form was also marred more than the sons of men. Now this has a reference, makes a reference, of course, to the suffering of our Lord. His beard plucked from his face, his head crowned with a crown of thorns, his back beaten with the Roman lash until it didn't even look human, his hands nailed to the cross, his feet spiked to the cross, uh, his side riven by the Roman spear. Never had any person ever seen such a marred individual as the Christ of God was and is upon Calvary. Uh, He was so humiliated and so marred and so beaten until we hit, as it were, our faces from him. Now, I've never seen anything quite like that in all my days. I suspect some of you might have, some of you uh, in World War II or the Korean conflict or the Vietnam conflict, you might have seen a body so marred, but I've never seen anything like that. I've seen very little blood in my in my lifetime. Very little blood shed in my lifetime. And I think the normal pattern of life would be exactly my experience. But some of you have the abnormal experience. Maybe in a wreck on the highway, or maybe in a train, uh, a plane wreck. Uh, some of the uh, tragedy, and you've seen broken bodies, you've seen bloody bodies, you've seen marred bodies and twisted bodies and broken limbs. I've never seen a human bone protrude out of the place. I've never had a bone broken in my body in all the years of my life. And But some of you have seen a bone, a leg bone, an arm bone, a bone broken and protruding out of the place. I've never seen that. But here's a body that was marred and defaced and so bloody until people were astonished and amazed that a man could suffer that much. And they hid as it were their faces from him. Uh, he, uh, he suffered in that fashion, and men were astonished that he who called himself the Christ of God, he who announced himself as the Christ of God, would be so humiliated as described in these verses. And uh, he was so humble and so humiliated and so broken and so marred more than any other man had ever been until Isaiah said, now, nobody will believe that he's the Messiah. Nobody will accept this report.
1: We're wasting
0: our time. Who hath believed our report? Israel will never believe our report. And that's why Isaiah came up with that question, you see. Uh, It's not that there was any question in the mind of Isaiah. But Isaiah was concerned about his own people according to the flesh. He well recognized that Israel was not prepared to accept and to receive that kind of a suffering Savior. And may I say to you that Israel in 1976 is yet unprepared to receive that kind of Savior. Now, had the Lord been born in a palace, had he wore a crown instead of a crown of thorns, had he had a scepter in his hand, had he ruled a nation, had he commanded an army, had he had a legion of servants going up on him, That all of Israel would have said, isn't he wonderful, isn't he great? He is indeed the son of David. He is indeed the promised Messiah. But the Lord had none of that. I mean, none of that. He had the opposite of that. Instead of glory and exaltation and extolling and being lifted very high, he was brought first very low, more than any man could possibly imagine. And Israel said, we can't accept that. He could not be the Messiah. He could not be. And because of Isaiah's insight into the nature of his people, a problem the battle in his own mind, don't you imagine Isaiah might have had some misgivings as he writes these words of prophecy 740 years before the Lord's born? Don't you imagine in his own mind he might have had some thoughts about the suffering and the humiliation of the Savior, so marred and so broken. Uh, His body was like no other man had ever suffered. Maybe Isaiah might have had some questions himself. Could he be, could it be, uh, though he writes uh, the inspired record of God, could it be that the Christ of God is to be so maltreated at the hand of Adam's fallen race? Now, because of that uh, marred, broken body, suffering, bleeding lamb of God, Isaiah concluded nobody will believe him. And that prompts the first question. Who hath believed our report? Now, I, I'd like to answer that question, please. I think the, uh, the foundation that I put down will give you a logical reason why Isaiah made the question. And I think it's most logical, practical, that those thoughts that come to the mind of Isaiah, probably more to your uh, than to your mind or to mine, because I'm a Gentile. I, I have no religious background as a nation of people. We have no priest in our heritage. We have no temples in our heritage. We have no Bibles in our heritage. We have no prophets in our heritage. You and I that are Gentiles are the fruit of paganism. We are the fruit of barbarianism. We have no religious heritage. I have adopted the religious heritage of Israel, you see. My God is the God of Israel. My Bible is the Bible of Israel, and there would be some uh, misgivings probably in our mind about the suffering Savior. But in the heart and mind of the Jewish prophet Isaiah, it's more than he can take when he sees the humiliation of the Son of God. And it's so uh, great in his mind until he cries, Who hath believed our report? And consequently, very few people in Israel has ever believed the report That Jesus Christ of Nazareth is indeed the Son of God, the virgin-born Son of God. Isaiah, I'd like to answer that question for you today. And the only way in the world that I can answer it is by the evidence of history and the reality of history. I'll answer Isaiah by saying the Gentile church doth believe the report that the suffering Savior indeed is the Son of God. The Gentile church answers the question. Now, when Isaiah lived, there was no Gentile church. Can you imagine how startled Isaiah would be if he could look in upon Faith Baptist campgrounds last night or then this morning hour? If he could see these grounds and hear the conversation and feel the singing and uh, know your heart and enjoy your fellowship and look around for a Jew and not find the one. Isaiah would be completely dumbfounded. He knew nothing about, as far as experience is concerned, I think probably he might have ruled a Gentile church not realizing what he was writing about.
1: But if Isaiah could look in upon our
0: fellowship and our services, why, he'd say, I can't believe my eyes. I can't believe this is so. You mean you barbarians, you pagans, why, you have no religious heritage. You have no part with Israel. You're an alien people. And yet you and I sit to worship at the feet of a crucified Savior. Who hath believed our report? I answer, Isaiah. A Gentile bride, a Gentile church, doth believe the report today. And I'm so glad that's so. May I say to you that though Isaiah might not have understood, God is never taken by surprise. The Almighty, 740 years before the Lord was born, when Isaiah lived, knew that a Gentile bride would believe that report. He had not forgotten Israel. No, God never forgets Israel. Israel is God's covenant people for time and for eternity. But in the mind of an omniscient God, He knew that there'd be a Gentile bride, and that you and I'd be part of that Gentile bride who would believe the report of a suffering, bleeding Savior,
1: and preach
0: about it, and talk about it, and and sing about it, and study about it, and build our theology upon it, and found our church upon it, and send our missionaries around the world upon this fact: Who hath believed our report? Isaiah. A Gentile bride does believe. And then the second question. In verse 1, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Which is to say, it looks like all of it is beside the point. Or what's the purpose of the Messiah? If the Messiah is to be humiliated and put to shame and broken and and marred to the degree that we hid our faces from him, what's the point? If Israel will not believe, then to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? If Israel cannot accept and will not accept that kind of a suffering Savior, then what's the point in the whole thing? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Well, naturally, Isaiah uh, counted upon Israel as God's covenant people, the chosen people, uh, lead it out and spearheading. The appearing of the Messiah. And Israel should have done that. Israel could have done that. But because of the blindness of the eyes of Israel, Israel did not do that. And Israel has been uh, set aside temporarily, momentarily, uh, during the Gentile dispensation, the church dispensation. And Isaiah can foresee that. Isaiah uh, says Israel will never believe the report. Israel cannot accept that kind of a suffering Savior. A humiliated Savior.
1: And if Israel does not accept
0: it, then to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And I answer that question also to whosoever will. And Isaiah knew nothing about that. Isaiah knew nothing about that. Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. And that's so, that's so clearly set forth in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 10, Jesus said to his twelve disciples, Go not unto the Gentiles, enter in not into any of the city of the Samaritans. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's in the Bible. That's in your Bible. We call that the apostolic commission in Matthew chapter 10.
1: Now you and I do the
0: opposite. We go only to the Gentiles for the most part. The average church representing here today has a small Jewish mission program, in tabernacle. I doubt if 5% of our mission energy is directed toward Israel. 95% of it is directed toward the Gentiles. And yet the Lord said, go not to the Gentiles. Now you won't uh, reconcile that unless you're right to divide the scriptures. You'd never be able to reconcile that. And Isaiah didn't have any way of knowing that. As far as Isaiah is concerned, salvation was for the house of Israel. A knowledge of Jehovah God was a knowledge peculiar to Israel, and only peculiar to Israel. Isaiah had no idea of a Gentile believing church as we have.
1: If Israel will not accept the sovereign
0: Savior, then he cries, To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? It's all a tragedy. It's all a mistake. It's all bad. Except somebody become benefited and profited by it. Let me remind you that in chapter 12 of Matthew, and the last verse, in chapter 12, verse number 50, for the first time in the New Testament, you find the word whosoever. And that's the turning point in the life of our Savior and in his ministry. When he first began preaching upon being baptized of John, he actually did what he told his disciples to do in Matthew 10. He went only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But when Israel rejected the Messiah, after they had ample opportunity to accept the Messiah, then he turns to the Gentiles. And for the first time, the word whosoever comes into the canon of God's Word. That would have been a strange thing to Isaiah. The sour Phoenician woman is an illustration of that. The sour Phoenician woman said, Master, my daughter is vexed for the devil. And Jesus said, it's not me, it's not wise, it's not reasonable for me to take the bread that belongs to the children and cast it to dogs. That's pretty straight talk. And the average woman got mad like the woman got upset at Brother sammy. You tell a woman she's a dog, you got problems on your hand. And the Lord said, Not me, and not, not not why? So we need to take the children's meat and the children's bread. And cast that to dogs, Gentile dogs. And yet the woman said, Yea, Lord, I'll agree. I'm a Gentile dog. And yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And I'd like to report to you that we Gentiles. Eat the bread that falls from the children's table. My religion is based upon the prophets of Israel. And my Bible is written by the prophets of Israel. And my Savior is the promised Messiah that would come to the house of Israel. We've been eating bread from the children's table for 2,000 years. And we've been getting along very well. Amen. Isaiah would have never known that, he would have never recognized that. He had no way of knowing that such a thing would ever happen. To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And I answer Isaiah by saying, a Gentile church. God has said to a Gentile church, come on, come on. And though we are vile and wretched and undone without any heritage, though we aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, yet we are invited to come and sit down at God's table and eat God's bread and enjoy. What we enjoy as being born of God's Spirit. Isaiah, lift up your head. Your people are blind. Your people rejected the Savior. But God's got a people down there that's going to accept him and believe the report. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Then question number three in verse eight. Who shall declare his generation? Now Isaiah is saying in that verse... If he dies, it looks like from the scripture, Isaiah could deduct that. If he's to be so marred and so broken, more than any of the sons of men, to the degree that we hide our faces from him, then he's going to die. And if he dies, then his generation comes to to a stop. His generation ceases. His name perishes from among the family of men, Isaiah deducted.
1: And if he's the Messiah...
0: And if he's so marred and broken and so rejected by the house of Israel, and if he dies upon the cross as he did die, then who shall declare his generation? His name shall perish. His name shall perish. Now, nowadays, we don't place the stock in names that Israel did, or generations, or family trees that Israel did. Uh, in the, in the Jewish economy, in the law economy, the oldest son inherited all the possessions of his father. And the oldest son, out of mercy, might share that or divide that voluntarily with the other members of the family. But he inherited the birthright. The oldest son. The oldest son. And they faced a great deal of emphasis in, in the generations. And I think we do, we won't be wise to do that. You know, my dad died two months ago. And I've never, in all the years of my life, Been an orphan until now. I've had a man that I could walk up to and put my hand out to him and shake hands with him and say, How you feel, Dad? Until two months ago. And I'm not a young man. My dad was 85 years old. And I'm glad the Lord let him live all these years. But I really felt the sting of being left alone. I didn't feel it quite so much when Mother died about ten years ago. But when Dad left, I felt like I was really alone first time I ever felt that way in my life. And I told my wife, I said, from now on we're, we're going to have to attend more funerals than we ever attended. I would left that up to my dad. When somebody in the family died, my dad would go. That was his responsibility, and he did. But dad's gone, and that means that I'll have to go from now on. I'll have to go in the place of my dad. I'll have to go in the place of my family. So I've uh, served notice on so my wife. We'll be attending funerals we've never attended before. That's a, a reasonable thing, a decent thing, an ethical thing to do. It's upon my shoulder now the responsibility. I'm the oldest child, and the responsibility of my family is on my shoulder now. My dad having been gone. Well, with Israel, that was much more real than it is with a Gentile church. And so Isaiah says, uh, if he dies young at ten to thirty years old, if he dies ignominiously upon a bloody, uh, gory cross at the age of thirty-three, his name will perish. Who shall declare his generation if he suffers like prophecy says he will suffer? I'd like to answer that question. The Holy Spirit has been integrating the tribes and races of the nations into one great body we call the church. The Holy Spirit has been going behind closed doors, independent institutions, out in the fields where men plow their corn, down into the house where women wash their dishes in the kitchen, and out in the automobile where men hi- ride the highway, and in the trucks where men drive, and in the shut-in room where sick people are, and the Holy Spirit has been invited!
1: sinners,
0: to come to Jesus and decline the name of Jesus Christ. When he is come, he will not testify of himself, but he shall glorify the Son. And so Isaiah, the Holy Spirit shall declare his generation. Now I'd like to say to you that there is no power in the world that can stop that process. I get a little bit amused at the communists in our day. The Russian communist said, we'll stamp religion out.
1: We'll raise
0: up a generation of atheists. And religion will perish. How naive, how silly. The very thought tells you what the communists are. They're dumbbells. They haven't got any sense. Any man that has any sense at all knows that man incurably is religious. And there's no way in the world to raise up a generation of atheists. No way to raise up a generation of atheists. No way. Just about the time you think you've got the job done, God will save a Sam Jones or a Bob Jones or a Bill Belcher or Joe Parsons. God will save one and fill his soul up with glory and the message. And he'll start preaching it like a of ablaze with fire. And there's no way to stop it. If one preacher compromised and modernized, God will save another young one and fill him up with glory and put the message in his heart. How are you going to harness the Holy Spirit? You might as well seek the harness, hydrogen, power, and the atomic bomb. You can't harness the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can go where I cannot go and do what I cannot do and do the promise of God. And there's no power on the earth that can stop the Holy Spirit from declaring his generation. Now, if you've got the idea that the church is about to become extinct and die, you've got the wrong idea. The church is in good shape and in good hands. The head of the church is the Holy Spirit of God. That is the earthly head. The head of the head is Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God. But the earthly executive is the Holy Spirit. The earthly high sheriff is the Holy Spirit. The earthly power is the Holy Spirit. And there's no way to stop that. No way. Isaiah said his name will perish. If he dies so ignominiously, his name shall perish. But I'd like to remind Isaiah that the Holy Spirit doth declare his generation. And as long as the Holy Spirit is in the world, brethren, he'll go up and down the land telling folk about Jesus. Go find Jesus. Number two, the church does declare his generation. The church. Thank God for the church. The older I get in the Lord and in the ministry, the more I'm convinced that the one unit, that God is pleased with, above every other religious unit is the local church. And now, note I said the local church. I didn't say a denomination. Now, I'm a Baptist and always have been always will be. If I wasn't a Baptist, I'd be ashamed of myself. But I'm not talking about the Baptist as denomination. And I'm not talking about the church of God. I think the church of God and the Pentecostal fellows, especially the assembly of God, I think they've got the idea that they're going to just about convert the world on this charismatic thing. Oh, brother, they're going in high gear. They've about got it. No, they they disillusioned themselves. No, sir. I'm not talking about denomination. I'm talking about the local congregation of born-again people banded together to fellowship, to worship, to tithe, to send the message around the world, and to preach the gospel, to evangelize. To help in any way they can to glorify the Savior, that local church declares His generation. The one thing that we are preoccupied with more than any other is declaring His name. I'm determined to know nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified, and that's the determination of every local church. It's the local church out of which God calls preaches.
1: It's the local church
0: that gathers the tithe together. To be used in carrying the gospel. It's the local church that sends the missionaries out around the world. Not a denomination, but the local church. And I think it's been a God's sin that the independent churches throughout America has emphasized the local church responsibility in sending missions around the world. I think God must have raised up the independent Baptist movement for such an hour as this. Did you know? Listen to me. That Baptist International Missions and Baptist Mid-Missions and and Association of Baptist World Evangelists and Man After Baptist Mission, Bible Baptist Fellowship, World Baptist Fellowship, and that's only six mission boards that I've mentioned, independent, premillennial, fundamental Baptist boards, right now have more missionaries on the field than the entire Southern Baptist Commission. And it's all been brought to pass in the last 25 years. Nothing but a miracle could have done that. Nothing but a miracle could have done that. And I think the miracle has been the local church, the local church. In the independent movement, we have no program, we have no uh, denominational leaders. The local church does what they want to do, what they will do about individual personal missions. And I think that's the reason why you have the mushrooming of the independent Baptist mission program around the world. If Jesus doesn't come in the next 25 years, you're going to see that double again. Southern Baptist has increased their mission uh, work only 500 missionaries in 25 years. When I was Southern Baptist, they had 2,200 on the field. Today they have 27. That's it, 525 years.
1: But the independent movement has been raised up
0: in that same 25-year period and has already passed the 2,700 mark. That's a miracle, a miracle. And that local congregation around the world is declaring the generation of Jesus Christ. We are not involved in social reform. The curse of the denomination of mission programs is right at that point. We are not involved in social reforms. We are not involved in political reforms. You hear me? The independent Baptist mission movement is not involved in political reforms, nor social reforms, nor even education, as great as that may be. But as far as I'm able to discern, the independent Baptist movement gives itself to preaching Jesus Christ. Well, there are other good missionaries with the, with the denominational, mainline denominations, no doubt about it. But I say to you that the local church doth declare the generation of Jesus Christ. Not at the local church, but I mean the Bible it. Bible believing, Christ preaching local church doth declare his generation. And shall continue to do so. Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And who shall declare his generation? I want to step forward and volunteer afresh and anew in my uh, my life, the closing years of my life. As long as there's breath in my body, I want that breath to explode the name of Jesus Christ and to preach the unsearchable riches and to declare the generation of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.